This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, geeks and nerds. Today's guest is Milo Ackerman. Lead vocalist for Manhattan Beach, California punk rockers, The Descendants. Together we take a deep dive into the writing, recording, inspiration, release, and legacy behind the fan-favorite song Hope, taken from their 1982 debut full-length album, Milo Goes to College. Although he wouldn't mention her by name, Milo did say that the song was written about an ex-girlfriend. He talked about her initial feelings about the song, and what drummer Bill Stevenson thought of it when he first showed it to him. We got into the recording process, which was basically the band playing live, with very few overdubs, and how this frenetic energy of youth and sheer enthusiasm within the track can still be heard to this day. Milo never thought in a million years that songs he wrote as a teenager would become the blueprint for the pop-punk explosion of the early 90s, and would also give him a career in music that has lasted now over 40 years. And Milo was quick to throw Bill under the bus regarding a certain lyric in the song, that without just wouldn't be the same. For all this and a whole lot of hope, stick around. This is a fun one. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Milo, what's happening? Not much. Just uh, hanging out in Delaware. Old Delaware. You're still there, huh? Yeah. Awesome, man. It kind of goes without saying. I think probably 99.9% uh, of my listeners know who you and the Descendants are, so there's not much of an introduction here. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm super stoked to, to have you on today, and, and there's so many songs. And uh, a lot of times... Chris, my producer, and I will go on Spotify or we'll go see how many YouTube plays a, a certain track has. And, you know, there was a, there was a couple of them, uh, you know, Get the Time, Sour Grapes. But I decided to go with Hope to break down today. And I want you to take us back. You know, Milo Goes to College, the first full length from Descendants, was released September 4th, 1982 on New Alliance Records. New Alliance Records? I did not know this. Uh, D. Boone and Mike Watt from the Minutemen started that label and then sst of course greg in from black flag sst had acquired the label later but it came out september 4th 82 which is uh closing in on 40 years of this song being released which is unreal to me and take us back to this time period when when you wrote the song do you remember writing it yeah well i guess the song itself probably is 40 years old because i probably wrote it in that kind of like spring period I mean, actually, it probably I finished finished the last lyric probably summer of '82. It was one of these songs where I had a piece of music and I didn't have words yet, and uh, I hadn't really written any songs for the band. I mean, 
not full fledged my own like my own songs. I'd written a song called Eunuch Boy where I wrote the lyrics and Tony wrote the music. And then for M16, again Tony music, my words. But this was my first attempt at actually writing the music itself. And so at that point, I didn't know what I was doing. I just strung a bunch of chords together. And I, I probably had just learned minor chords. So I was like, cool, minors, minor chords. Those are cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this one has it has a bunch of minor chords in it, which I, I was kind of like having fun with uh, playing and strung them together and came up with basically the entirety of the, you know, the song with music only. Then something I, as songwriters are, you know, want to do is, is just uh, obsessively play that over and over again. Cause Hey, this sounds cool. I just want to keep playing this. I play, I must've played it, you know, for hours and hours. And I think I showed it to my girlfriend and she said, the chords are all wrong. And I said, Oh, thanks. <laughs> now, what, what did she mean by the chords are wrong I though? I don't know. I mean, uh, <laughs> Maybe from a classical music perspective, it, it it kind of shifts around a little bit. It's maybe not in, a, in like, like not entirely in a key or something, or maybe the probably the minor chords are all wrong or like some of those minor chords are not in the right place. Whatever, I didn't care. I was going to keep going with it because it felt good to play it. So then I showed it to Bill. I said, "Hey, here's these here's these chords I put together. I think this I think this is a song, but I don't have any words for it." And played played him the chords, and he goes, "Oh, that's so." That's so hopeful sounding. It's the song that inspires hope. And I go, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I get that feeling too. It's like kind of, you know, it's got these minor chords. I mean, minor chords can feel sad, but they can also feel hopeful, I guess. I don't know. Um, and so then it became the song that inspires hope. And I just shortened it to hope. And then had to write lyrics uh, to, you know, I, I guess to reflect that part of it. And that's where I actually wrote them um, about my girlfriend. Her name's beep beep. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's I, I I like your uh, self editing there. That was great. You know, the passage of time is a crazy thing as 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 we get older. And I remember when Less Than Jake did our first tour with you guys on the Caffeine Nation in '97. I remember thinking like, wow, you know, Milo goes to college. That record's 15 years old, and it seemed like a lifetime away. Another another dimension of time. And yet the last 25 years since then, it seemed like they went by in a, in a flash. It's just, it, it, it's crazy. But I, I think I know the answer to this question. But when, when you wrote it, did, did, you, did you ever fathom that 40 years later, you'd still be talking about it and people would go absolutely nuts at shows for this? Well, no, I wasn't even supposed to be a musician at this point. I, you know, <laughs> I was supposed to be a scientist, perhaps a full professor was the, was the long-term dream. And obviously I'm not a full professor, not a scientist anymore. Uh, and so you just can't predict how your life's going to go. And I just feel like you just have to roll with the changes. And I set myself up to have a few different irons in the fire and just tried to keep those irons going because I was really like kind of, uh, you know, obsessively excited about music and, and about science. So I thought, well, I mean, I want to do both these things. How can I make that happen? Of course, you can't really make that happen, but I, but I tried my best to kind of 
to kind of keep my two passions going. And, and I think that's what helped me in the long run, because when one of them started to kind of uh, wither on the vine, I just kind of went to the other one with, you know, I would have never thought it was the science that was going to wither on the vine, but that's in fact what happened. <laughs> you know, something I don't get into too much on the show here, but when I get uh, some of the the veterans, the, the punk legends on here, I like to ask, cause you know, you guys paved the way for bands like mine and, and all the bands that came after you. I mean, there was a danger in, uh, to punk rock, an element of danger back then. You were, the, the, the places were always in the rundown parts of town. Uh, it was sketchy. There was stabbings. There was skinheads. You, you saw it all. What did your folks think of this? Because you were a good kid. You were kind of nerdy. You, were, you wanted to be a scientist. You got good grades, I'm presuming. And here you are hanging out with Bill going doing these shows. What, what, was the, uh, what was the climate like at home during this? Well, I think they first started worrying probably when I decided I graduated high school. And, you know, I think my parents were looking at me like, okay, now you're going to go to college. And I said, no, I'm going to go to community, the local community college. I'm going to, I'm going to go to this place, El Camino community college. And I think the jaws hit the floor. Like what? It's like, you're supposed (laughs) to be going to a real university. And I, I said, well, I'm just, I'm digging the band right now. And I was assured that I could go to this community college for a year and, and then transfer the credits in somewhere else. So I, I kind of had to reassure them, look, it's still in the plan, but I, but I just, I'm enjoying with, I'm enjoying this band and I just want to kind of keep rolling with it. And in the meantime, I will pursue some education at this local community college. It all worked out, but yeah, I think that that was their first, in, uh, first kind of suggestion to them. Like, Oh man, this guy can't tear himself away from this, this life, this uh-huh. punk rock life thing. So, yeah. And what was the, because, you know, punk rockers in 1982 were outcasts. What was the allure for you then? What what was it about it for this suburban teenage kid that, that you just, you were drawn to? I think it was the, the fact that it was outcasts because I kind of felt like we all had to find our people, you know, and, and I found my people in Bill, obviously, and, yeah. and Frank and Tony. We were all outcasts in the band. And I think just being at school and dealing with not fitting in and, and that whole thing. I think punk rock became a place where you, you, you could fit in. I mean, it's a, you're fitting in by not fitting in with it. You're, you're fitting in by sharing that kind of anger of not fitting in with it, with all these other punk rockers. And that's kind of where we all could kind of bond together just over, you know, kind of being the outcasts. I think, you know, you got to celebrate that. You can't just kind of like, you know, just, yeah. It's, it's like, well, if you're an outcast, what are you going to do? Try to be someone that you're not. And just, you got to be who you want to be. So I think that that's what punk rock, you know, afforded me basically. Yeah. You show up at the shows like I'm confused. So am I. Let's hang out. I mean, <laughs> yep. you know, one thing I always admired about Descendants that I loved, I loved, at least on the outside, it, it looked like a very uh, democratic process with the songwriting. Everyone got songwriting credits, even the later members. Of course, on Milo Goes to College, we had Tony Lombardo on bass and Frank Nevetta on the guitar, uh, the original band. And then, of course, Stefan and Carl came in later. But everyone always had an opportunity to write. Was that the way from the get-go? Were you ever intimidated to show something to Bill? Or was that always kind of the way that it was? No, it was It was always that way. I think the first, you know, the, the band was started by Frank. And so he came in with a whole bunch you know, songs right off the bat. Tony was next with like, Hey, I think I can contribute here. And every new person that came in and contributed was like, yeah, more songs. Good. You know, because no one was going to sit there and go, I, I just wrote 30 songs. I mean, we all wrote our kind of fair share and it, there was never any kind of like monopolization of that. I came into the band and they already had a full set of songs that were not my songs. I 
at that point was kind of like, this is cool because I don't really know how to write songs anyways. But the, but you know, probably within the first month of me joining the band, Tony was like, dude, write a song. And I go, uh, I don't know how to write a song. And he said, okay, just give me, just write a lyric and I'll write a song with it. And that's when I brought in Unique Boy and he wrote the music for that. You know, he must've been laughing his head off while he was writing it. But I mean, so that just goes to show you, I mean, we, we were all just kind of like, not only encouraged, but like, hey, if you're in this band, you need to write some songs. You know, that was kind of the expectation. And that's that would continued even th- even after Tony and Frank left, because then we had Doug and Ray and, you know, both, yeah. you know D- Doug came in with these great songs. He, he, he wrote Sour Grapes with me. And, uh, you know, he wrote some other songs on, the, on that Enjoy record that are really great. So it's just kind of like get started from the very start of just the expectation that everyone's going to write. You know, even Stefan writes now. In fact, he's the most prolific songwriter in the band now. <laughs> well, a couple, a couple of things. You mentioned Eunuch Boy a couple of times. That didn't uh, make an appearance on a record until 1996 with Everything Sucks. So was that written back in the day and you yeah, just didn't it, record it till then? Yeah, it was, it, was written, it was written back when I joined, but never never put on anything. I don't know. I think Bill kind of resurrected like, Hey, won't this be funny to put on to, uh, I don't want to grow up. Um, there was a few others that were like that. We were just kind of like, huh, these are these ones that, that just didn't belong. They didn't belong on Milo goes to college, but then we thought, well, we'll you know, we, we thought they were funny and would provide a nice funny element to, uh, uh I don't want to grow up that. So we put them on that. Actually, no, no, it wasn't on. I don't want to grow up. That was on, that was on like, uh, everything sucks. You're right. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, yeah, okay. it was ninety six. So yeah, that was resurrected from way on back. Yeah, okay, okay. I, I got confused with this other song, no, no FB that 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 ended up on. Uh, I don't want to grow up. It was it was that was resurrected. Unfortunately, was resurrected. Should <laughs> something I always uh, loved about the band again is the continuity between Tony and Frank, Doug and Ray, and then Carl and Stefan. It all kind of felt like this one cohesive. It wasn't like, oh, there's a completely different sound happening. There was, there was a cohesion here within the band that I always respected. And something else I didn't know while I was researching for this episode, I don't know how I didn't know this, probably because I never saw you uh, with Tony back in the day, but he was about 20 years older than you guys, right? Yeah, yeah. When he joined the band, at some point, someone had had their had the curiosity to ask him, just how old are you anyway? <laughs> I think Bill might have Bill might have confronted him. Like, we need to know how old you are. And he wouldn't, I don't think he would tell them, or it took him a while to finally fess up to Bill. Because I think he felt like Bill was just going to be like shocked. And he was, he was about 20 years old in us. And so Bill, Bill just kind of tucked that little tidbit away. It's kind of like, okay. Because, <laughs> because you know, Tony wanted to keep it on low. It's one of those things you're only, you're only as old as you feel. But I think Tony was just like, man, I don't want to be seen as the geezer. Well, yeah, because I remember going to shows, you know, at 17, 18, 19 years old. And if there was anybody over 30 there, you knew it. <laughs> yeah. So <the laughs> Immediately. Tony, though, is that his musical tastes were so, you know, juvenile. I mean, he, he was loving X ray specs and all these, you know, teeny bopper punk bands. And I think he, he, he because his tastes, kind of veered in that direction 
he could be young at heart and be in the band basically i mean he, he, of course he wrote some of the most juvenile lyrics we have too so yeah which is which is awesome and uh you know the album uh of course recorded the tape there was no pro tools back then it was produced by Glenn Lockett, who professionally goes by Spot, and uh, he was best known for being the house producer and engineer uh, for SST Records. So when you went to record this, obviously you were had been playing these songs out live, and back in the day, you, you had to be well rehearsed because you were, you know, recording studios cost a lot of money. When you got in there, was Hope recorded kind of off the floor and you just dub vocals afterwards, or how much of a... a overdubs and things that were happening at that time? Well, I think what they would do is, at that point, play guitar bass drums in a room with some baffling with some you know maybe the drum maybe the drums were in a separate room but at any rate it was all the guitar bass drums were live and there was probably some overdubbing of guitars afterwards uh and then and then yeah the, the, then the, of course the vocal is just kind of done uh on its own uh, later than that i can remember them putting down hope and thinking cool this is my first song and then realizing uh-oh i need to finish writing the lyrics <laughs> it's like <laughs> Because I, I guess I'd written, I'd probably written like a first verse chorus and didn't have, maybe didn't have a, oh, maybe I'd written everything but the bridge. And so the bridge, I just had nothing, I hadn't really uh, written yet. It was written musically, but I had, I had no words for it. So then I think I was scrambling around in the studio as my time to kind of sing it came, came upon me. And I just had to finish writing the bridge. Yeah. And how hard at this point, because, you know, Bill wasn't producing, it was Spot, but how hard uh, was Bill on you for vocal performances? Man, I've heard some stories from Scott Reynolds. Of course, it's been documented in the Descendants movie, and and Chad Price has talked about it. Like, Bill was just cracking the whip in there. And was it just kind of like you got in front of the mic and did your thing? Or, or was there, hey, you know, was he feeding you note choices or melody choices? Or how, how, how was that process? A couple things. One is that we had practiced these songs so much that there was not going to be any kind of like in the studio kind of like, Oh, I guess I need to learn the song. No, or, or any of that. And because we practiced them so much, I kind of knew what, what kind of oomph to give them. I, yeah. I knew what I wanted to sing. I can't say that any of them are, are one take only, but some of the, some of them are just like, you know, two or three takes only kind of thing. And then that's fine because you, you got to run through the song a few times anyways. So yeah, I think, I think we, we didn't struggle to get those takes because we'd kind of uh, worked on these songs for so long before that point. We woodshed mm -hmm. it. We guess they call it woodshed. Woodshed. We've woodshedded the songs, so there was it, came, it went pretty smoothly. The only thing I can remember is that there were a few songs that, in the aftermath, I go, God, I kind of wish, I kind of wish I would have asked Bill for more guidance, like his songs, like Bikeage. I sang that song pretty much like, you know, I'm singing the tonic, the whole song. I'm just kind of, it's kind of like I'm singing very few notes and I'm just kind of belting it out. And that works, that works pretty well. But I, I, I kind of feel like maybe he wanted something more than that in either, well, either he was un unwilling to kind of suggest it to me or he maybe felt like, well, this is, this is where Milo's at as a singer, or this is his sound and I don't want to mess with his sound. But there were a few songs like Bikeage where, he probably wanted something a little more melodic than that. And I just, I just wasn't, I wasn't asking about it and I wasn't getting the suggestion from him. So it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> one, one more thing before we dive into the track, do you recall start to finish how many days it took to, uh, to record Milo goes to college? I think it was probably two weeks. Uh, I think I probably spent 
maybe three or four days singing max, I would say max three or four days singing. So there was, yeah, there was no kind of belaboring. <laughs> it, it was just kind of like, you know, part of this is, well, not part, all, all of it is related to studio time, obviously. You don't, yeah. you don't even have time to, any more time than that to do it. I mean, it's one of these things these days with the, you know, the advent of, you know, Pro Tools or whatever, you don't have that limitation so much on studio time or, or you know, at least you can kind of go, oh, we'll sing it a few, we'll sing it five times through and then we'll just stitch, do this, the old, the old stitcheroo. Yeah. Uh, back then you just, you were so limited by purchasing studio time that, I mean, I guess there's a sense of urgency to it all. There's just kind of like you get that, you get that raw or maybe more uh, punk performance out of it. Well, yeah. And, and like you said, you were out playing the songs. You had to be well rehearsed because you, you, you were spending 30, 40, 50 bucks an hour to record. It's like, let's go in and there's an urgency to it. And I think that that's why a lot of people, uh, me as a fan, can uh, relate to this is a lot of times our uh, the band's first records are our favorite. There was an immediacy to it. There was a punch yep. to it. You, Yeah. Most bands' first records, you just you'd been playing those songs for like two years. And so you get in there like, and it's this sense of huge release. Like finally, these songs we play for two years, we can just commit them to, to vinyl or commit them to tape. It makes for a different experience than say when you're on records five, six, and seven, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, we're going to jump into the song right now. The intro uh, yeah, is eight bar intro. The song's one minute and 58 seconds, just under that two minute uh, mark. Uh, right off the top, the band is in guitar, bass, and drums. I love the chord progression. You're, you're, I think your girlfriend was wrong about this one. I think it's perfect. Uh, F sharp, C sharp, D to A. It's great. <laughs> I'm calling this the chorus riff. You know, the, the chorus in this song we'll get to in a moment is kind of part of the verse. And I think that's what I love so much about it. It's like, wait, is this a, is this a chorus or is this still part of the verse? And I, I, th I think that's great. The guitars, do you recall if they were stereo guitars or was this just one up the middle? It's hard for me to tell. It sounds like it's just one guitar and one bass and, and maybe some overdubs. I don't remember what Frank was doing, but I imagine there might have been more than one guitar in there. It does sound yeah. full, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it. It probably was stereos, but it it, it kind of has this uh, like you're just listening to a band in a room that you threw up a couple mics and recorded, and I and I think I think it's great. The verse changes from that opening riff, goes into B minor, and uh, I think that's kind of what Bill was talking about. It kind of lifts there and kind of gives you this this hopeful feeling. That's at least at least that's what I get from it. Why can't you say you talk to me? Why can't you see? You torture me. You're already thinking about someone else. When he comes home, you'll be in his arms, and I'll be gone. But I know my day will come. I know someday I'll be the only one. Where did that inspiration come from, lyrically? It's kind of just me talking to my girlfriend. I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. We don't really write a lot from just kind of like imagination. We, we tend to write more from just experience. Mm -hmm. I guess I learned that from just listening to Bill's songs and Frank's songs and, and where it's just basically, you know, they're going to talk about their relationships and that's what this is. Um, yeah. So it's just my girlfriend at the time was, was actually looking to break up with me. We hadn't maybe completed the breakup, but we were in the midst of a, the breakup. She had already informed me that 
her ex-boyfriend was coming back from the Navy. And she was saying to me, well, as soon as he comes back, I think I'm going to go back with him. And so you're, that's just, just to let you know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So that's, that's the, you know, you're torturing me here. I mean, you're already thinking about someone else when he comes home. Well, you'll be in his arms. I'll be gone. Almost because the song was supposed to inspire hope. That's, I just felt like, well, I'm going to dig in my heels and I'm going to say, no, my day will come, you know? Well, I'm considering the chorus, the line, but I know my day will come. I know someday I'll be the only one because it goes back to that intro F sharp, C sharp, D, A riff at the top. Yeah, that's the chorus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, there's something else wild in here. And that's that's why I love uh, doing this podcast, Milo. I've heard this song, I don't know how many times, hundreds, maybe a thousand times over, over the years. And when I got into the headphones and I listened to it and dissected it about 30 times over the past few days, the backing vocals here on the lines, when he comes home, you'll be in his arms and I'll be gone, but I know my day will come. And then there's nothing that I know someday, but on the last line, I'll be the only one. When he comes home, you will be in his arms and I'll be gone, but I know my day will come. I know someday I'll be the only one. The backing vocals that were kind of unison and everything is panned off to the right, the backing vocals, until that last line, I'll be the only one, all of a sudden, the backing vocals go left, they're in unison, they're not harmonies, and they're very loose, nothing is locked here. Again, before Pro Tools, who was doing the backing vocals? That's all Bill. He did all the backing vocals for that. That's Bill. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there were other there were other things on My Legos of Calls where I, I would do the backing, I'd just do the backing, like d- double my voice, or actually, you know, do do some very simple harmonies, um, but for Hope, it was all Bill doing doing backing vocals. So that was kind of fun to have him, you know, kind of contribute on that way. I guess he would know about the the panning, what kind of panning was going on, because he was the one, you know, doing the backing vocal and kind of planning out how that was going to go. So yeah, was Bill mixing with Spot at this point too, or was were you just getting mixes back from Spot? Like, okay, that's cool, or we want to change something, or was was Bill in there saying, hey, maybe we should pan? Because it's it's really odd how everything's over in the right speaker, and then that last line it goes over to the left. It's like whoa, but it's but it's very cool. I'm sure Bill was in there with him. I don't know, you know, Bill didn't have the any kind of technical know how at that point to yeah. kind of move to move any faders or anything like that. But I'm sure he was looking over Spot's shoulder because he just had that kind of, you know, he was the guy who was going to be going to make this, you know, the record that he wanted it to be basically. So yeah, I think uh, Bill, Bill definitely had some input for that for sure. I mean, Spot, Spot's a genius, but, but Bill also kind of was in, in the mix basically. Yeah. That's so awesome. Well, immediately goes into verse two. So now you wait for So now you wait for his spark. You know it'll turn you on. He's going to make you feel the way you want to feel. When he starts to lie, when he makes you cry, you know I'll be there. My day will come. I know someday I'll be the only one. I mean, how much of this is supposed to be me rehashing my relationship of years gone by? I don't know. (laughs) Because that's kind of, I mean, if I I were to talk about these lyrics, the only thing, I can't talk about how poetic or not poetic they are or about what they really mean. It's pretty clear what they mean. 
It's yeah. There's no subterfuge in any of this. And so there she actually told me at some point, I just, I'm not, you know, we don't have a spark and I want that spark. And I always had that spark with this other guy. So therefore that's, what's going to happen. Yeah. So that, that just, I put it in the song like that. Like I said, I, I don't, that's why I call her beat beat because I'm not going to say her name. It's like, this is getting too, too personal, man. No, it's not. not Does she know it's about her though? Yeah. Yeah. I think she must, I think she, no, she knew because uh, I told her. I think yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, the line here, he's going to make you feel the way you want to feel the backing vocals. Uh, what Bill's doing is off to the right. The next line, same thing. But then my day will come. It switches to the left and I'll be the only one. It switches to the left, but it's super quiet this time from the first chorus. Again, I guess that was just the way it was mixed or maybe Bill sung it a little quieter there. And, and that, that's just how it went down. Yeah, I think it's just happenstance. I'm not sure if there's. I think I remember hearing that, yeah, and thinking like the backing vocals fluctuate a little bit in terms of where they are in the mix from the first to the second chorus. But, you know, it's all cool. It's punk rock, you know. Hey, everybody. No need to wonder or be sad, nervous, or mad. There's plenty more with Milo Ackerman after a few quick words from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, Check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. And now, back to the show. Well, uh, we we hit this B chord now. We're, we're now we're in bridge. What I'm calling bridge one. If uh, there's a maybe a bridge two or what I'm also calling an outro at the end, but we're we're in a bridge now. Call me selfish, call me what you like. I think it's right to want someone for all your own and not to share her love. 
Because I'll have my way. You won't have a say anyway. Because I got you. You don't stand a chance. And is that her saying, because I got you, you don't stand a chance? Or is that you saying that? That's me. I, you know, this this is something where I've, I've actually done this song acoustically recently where I've just changed those lyrics because they come across just a little in the light of 2022. They just come across just a little toxic male, you know? And so I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. I, I don't, I feel like at the time being a 19 year old kid, if I was feeling kind of bitter and angry about this, I might be like, I'm going to get my way. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to have my way. You won't have a say, you know, it does come across you almost creepy. Like I've got you, you don't stand a chance, you know? So I've actually modified the lyrics for that reason. To want someone for all your own and not to share her love. I want to have my way. I know I got no say anyway, but I want you. So just give me a chance. We've been called out on a bunch of different stuff that's questionable, but I've never been called on that, but but that was just me self self being self-critical about about being a 19 year old kid who didn't understand the way that, you know, romantic relationships or whatever. And that's, that's what comes out from it. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's what that's all about. Just kind of like, you know, me being angry or bitter about, about the way things went down. But like, again, it's kind of saying, well, I'm just going to make it happen. I'm just going to make it happen somehow, basically, you know? Right. Um, do you recall during this bridge part, it almost sounds like really super buried where the, was the lead vocal double tracked here? Um, I don't think it was. Okay, then maybe I'm hearing Bill doing a backup or something with you here because it almost sounded like there's a, a ghosting of a double track that's not completely locked up with the lead vocal. If there was, it was merely meant to be a double. There's clearly no need, there was no need or desire to have any, uh, you know, any kind of harmonizing or anything like that. It's pretty much unison, if anything, basically. On the last line on Cuz I Got You, there's some dissonant, like a dissonant guitar overdub yeah. uh, that, that, that comes in that's very rem- reminiscent of what Stefan would, would bring to the band later. Just really cool, like out of nowhere. It's like just this noodly thing that happens for like three or four seconds and then, then it's gone. You recall stuff like that? Was that just what uh, what Frank was playing live and it just transferred to the studio? Or yeah, I mean, Frank would he would do stuff that you would be like, "Whoa, did he mean to do that?" And you know, it's not you know I'm, that was pr- that was probably not an overdub. It was probably him hitting some weird harmonic or him maybe uh, not even meaning to, and Spot just being like, "Okay, that was the one," because he hurt because Spot would hear it. Oh, that was the one. Whatever. I don't care if you meant to do that or not but that's the one, you know? And I think mm-hmm. maybe what it is, cause I, I don't remember either directing him to do that or him having some idea like, Oh, I'm going to insert this little bit here. I'm going to have to listen back to hear to hear it now because I don't, I'm not, not exactly sure what it is, but, but I do, I do believe that, that that was probably an example of, of just like a, a happy mistake basically that, that ended up being on there, you know? Gotcha. And the thing about this bridge, the one thing I should mention about this bridge too, is that when I first showed the song to Bill, he was like, well, wait, what is this? Is it you're going, are you going through another verse here? I go, no, it's a bridge. But as, as you can tell that the music for that bridge is pretty similar to the verse. It's just, instead of starting with a B minor, it starts with a G basically. Call me selfish, call me what you, that's G to D. And so that's, that's the only reason why it sounds different than, than the verse. And you're right. Yeah. So I had, I had to convince Bill, no, 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 this is cool. It's a bridge that has some similarity to the verse but it's, it stands on its own as a bridge, but yeah, I, I, I can, I think other bands that have 
maybe even covered it. I've just, you know, treated it like a, like another verse. It's like, no, no, that's a bridge, man. That's a bridge. <laughs> and no, and you're right. I erroneously said that uh, it was the key of B, but you're right. It, 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 it is in G and it is reminiscent of, of the verse. And I think that uh, that's kind of uh, something about younger songwriters. Uh, a lot of our stuff from verse to chorus might sound the same because we're, we're still learning how to write and how to put stuff together. Yeah, but I also think that I've, re- I've heard songs where they throw a bridge in there and it just comes out of left field. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, so it can, it can <laughs> It can work to have a bridge that sounds like another part because then you're not kind of thrown off base. But, you know, I guess you want it to sound significantly like it can't be can't be thrown out of left field, but it's but it also can't just sound like the another verse that's it so yeah. i was trying to split the difference there yeah well there's some cool stuff rhythmically going on at the end of this bridge uh before we co- get into verse three i i love verse three because verse three is verse two except for one word mm. and then we get a double chorus here One word is is cock, and uh, <laughs> it is. So now you wait for his cock. You know it'll turn you on. He's gonna make you feel the way you want to feel when he starts to lie. When he makes you cry, you know I'll be there. My day will come. I know someday I'll be the only one. And that's repeated again, where we get that double chorus. Again, we get the uh, Bill's vocals on the second line. He's gonna make you feel uh, the way you want to feel. It's panned off to the right. My day will come. It's not panned left like it was in chorus two. It's still panned over to the right, which I which I thought was cool. And again, I think some of this stuff, uh, like you said, is just happenstance. It's just kind of what went down in the studio, and it wasn't wasn't really uh, too much thought at that point going into it. Once I'm done with my vocal performance, I'm like, I'm out of here. <laughs> so whatever spot does, from, and you know, I I had no, I had no kind of a standing to which to then to go behind the mixing board and go hey do this do that that would have been seen as like you know what <laughs> well the, and the reason i keep talking about the panning and for the listeners i'm going to kind of break this down on uh, layman's terms you know the, the panning and, and volume adjustments when you mixed back then they were done on the fly there there wasn't any automation going on there was no computer so it's like you're sitting there and you're like nodding at bill going okay pan the the vocal off to the left and you're actually taking a button and turning that vocal so the so it'll go over to the left or, or to the right speaker so it's just fascinating to know that that's what went on back then yeah yeah but it wasn't going on in real time obviously because i i was just singing you know i was just kind of like yeah just doing yeah. the thing and then after the fact they they were they were going to do some panning but i just want to go back to that one word and i'm going to st- i'm going to state what my recollection of that is is that bill wanted- <laughs> he's like hey dude wouldn't it be cool if you said cock instead of spark i go uh okay <laughs> We're going to throw Bill under the bus. I love it. You know, that was another thing was, you know, besides that one word, was it like, hey, we've already said this in verse two or or, or whatever. It's punk rock. We're just going to say it again. That That's kind of how it was with my early stuff. It's like, we're going to repeat the verse again. Yeah. It didn't have to be the C word. It could have been whatever. It could have been something but you, to make to make it be slightly different than the than the first time around. You know, so that was I, I'm sure that was part of the thinking. Um, but, yeah, it was one of these, you know. 
it meant that Casey Kasem could never play that song, though. <laughs> yeah, you weren't you weren't getting on American Bandstand yeah. in any uh any anytime soon, little Dick Clark. Uh, I, I love the next part because it's kind of like the second bridge, but I, I'm calling it an outro, and it comes in on a, a C sharp minor. Which again, you're talking about those minor chords, uh, and there's 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 a sadness here with this, but uh, it is hopeful. But at the same time, the song's about your girlfriend leaving you. It's it's a there's a lot going on on here. So now you want perfection. I see self-destruction. You don't know what you want. It's gonna take you years to find out. I'm not giving up. And when you had enough, you'll take your bruised little head and you'll come running back to me. You know that I'm gonna be the only one. So now you want perfection. I see your self-destruction. You don't know what you want. It's going to take you years to find out. Before I go any further, when did you realize that Face to Face stole your lyric? Well, someone told me that this is a <laughs> And I said, this band, oh, oh, Face to Face, man, they stole your lyric. And I was like, cool. You know, I, that's like, I think that was, that's pretty rad because it's in the coda, for God's sakes. It's, it's not even, they made a chorus out of my coda. So that's cool. They changed one word though. They say uh, you don't know what you want. It may take you years to find oh, out. So that, so yeah, so so they get uh, the third of the writing credit for that one word, the old, right. uh, the go. old third. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember listening to that and being like, wait a second, how do I know that lyric? Oh, I know why I know that lyric. Yeah. The, yeah. the rest of the lyric here is, I'm not giving up. And when you've had enough, you'll take your bruised little head and you'll come running back to me. You know that I'm gonna be the only one. And that's one thing here, bruised little head. Is that uh, a metaphor for what's going on in her head, or, or was the boyfriend abusive in any way? No, the, no, the it was, ex. No, it was it was a metaphor. Yeah, it, it, I don't. Yeah, it was more like you know, your your brain your brain gets kind of bruised, or your, I guess it really be your heart, but maybe heart didn't sound good enough, you know. So it was definitely metaphorical, not really a real thing. Yeah, but uh, so the very first song that I write for the band, I, I decide I have to write a coda to a song like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like you, it can't just end, it can't just end with a chorus or it, or it can't just end with something you know normally you'd end the song with a chorus but no i had to write a freaking coda yeah all, all of a sudden you're in queen it's yeah, like, what's going know, on but, but i mean and, and the the funny thing is is that i have just a bad habit of doing that i wrote codas for songs on hypercaffeine i mean like smile has a coda It's like my 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 weakness or whatever. I have a weakness for Dakota, I guess. And then yeah, I think you did it with uh, with Tack from Cool to Be You. That's another one. Yeah, of yeah. Yours. That's just awesome. Weird. It's like they've got to do that. I don't know why that is, but yeah. The only backing vocals are on the very last line. I'm gonna be the only one. They're panned left. And then the last vocal you hear, and I'm going to assume this is Bill panned off left. There's like a quick only one that happens.
That's I guess that's the one example where I did the backup because I Oh, that's you. Yeah, okay. So I think I did the whole track. We you know, we double tracked what needed to do the double track. And then I'm so I got this one idea for the very ending and I'm going to go, I'm going to be the only one, like a, like a Frank Sinatra thing or something. <laughs> like I'm going to croon this time. And that's probably why you can only hear only one. You can't hear the, I'm going to be the only one. Cause it was me oh. trying to, it was me trying to just add something croony to the very end. And so that's, that was that idea, which we, I don't ever do that live, uh, but I did do it. I did this recent thing for Taylor guitars where I did, I did, um, I did it with um with Stefan and Carl where we played mm -hmm. acoustic guitars and I did do it for that just because I thought well you know it's these are it's acoustic so it'll it'll show up basically I'm not giving up and when you've had enough you take your boost little head and come running back to me you know I'm gonna be the only I love the rhythmic change here at the end to end the song, uh, the very end. Uh, F sharp, C sharp, D to A, F sharp, C sharp, D to A. That's the only time you get it that fast. It's great. That, I'm sure that was just like, I'm sitting here like, I've got this coda. How do I end the song? Oh, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just play the chorus double time. Yeah. That's the chorus. That's the chorus double time. And yeah, so it was a fun way to end it and, it. and it solved the problem of how do you end with a coda, basically. Yeah. 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 And... Uh, now you get the mixes back from from spot you hear the song do you remember hearing the mix back for the first time what and what did you think of it no i was totally uninvolved with all that and the reason why is because i did go to college i that's milo went to college <laughs> we finished tracking in probably august i guess and i had to go down to school so i i think i might have told bill hey send me a cassette you know of the mixes and i do not remember getting a cassette of any mixes, masters, or anything. The next thing I know, I'm not complaining at all. This is just how it worked out. But the next thing I know, my uh, my roommate is saying, "Hey, there's a guy down the street who has a record with with your name on the cover." <laughs> <laughs> Are you Milo goes to college? Is that the one? Is that something that you did? I go, yeah, that's my band from from up in L.A. And he goes, well, I want to go down the hit street and listen to it. And I go, I want to go too because I haven't heard it yet. That's incredible. So I walked down the street with this guy to the to his friend's house, and we we put the needle down on, on my logos of college, and I'm listening to it for the first time. I didn't hear mixes, I didn't hear masters or anything like that. Um, I just heard it. I heard the vinyl version of it when it actually emerged, and uh, it was really kind of surreal because I'm sitting here, I'm listening to it as you might listen to it in the recording studio, and with a very discerning ear, you know, fully like. And, you know, like focused on it. And the, and these guys around me are like, why this guy's acting like he never heard this before. It's like, <laughs> I haven't. You I didn't. Haven't. <laughs> <laughs> so. one, one, one last thing before we break. So, you know, you go off to college, the band continues on, you made a couple more records with them. They splintered off into all and got a couple different singers over the years. And then it's the early nineties. And during this time, there's just this groundswell and punk rock's becoming more popular, more popular. When did it dawn on you uh, before everything sucks? Okay. Before 96, when you guys made the comeback album and went out uh, and again, there was no money to be made in the eighties on punk rock. You did these songs when you were a kid, 19, 20, 21 years old. What was it like 10 years after the fact that people are clamoring for this music and going crazy for it? It was definitely not something, you know, I expected. I saw, 
the whole Green Day Offspring explosion happened, and I liked both those bands, and I thought, cool, you know, I felt gratified that punk was kind of, you know, bubbling up, and in fact, exploding really at that point. Yeah, um, and so I just was, I was really excited about it. I mean, per- perhaps that's the reason why I, you know, got back together. The, one of the reasons I got back together with bands, just so I could, I kind of rediscovered my enthusiasm for that kind of raw, that kind of raw, more raw music. I mean, I spent the probably the late eighties and, and early nineties, you know, listening to kind of more indie, indie music. I was a, like a Pixies fan, that kind of thing, Nirvana. Yeah. But I mean, I think I, through that whole period, I listened to all and all was the band that kind of, I kept, kept the torch alive for the descendants basically. Oh yeah. And so I, I was still kind of in the loop with those guys and, and uh, I started writing music again, pretty much due to kind of some dissatisfaction with my professional life as a scientist. I just was like, I, you know, I needed an outlet for that kind of frustration uh, and dissatisfaction. And so I started writing songs again and I showed him the bill and that kind of jump started, uh, you know, everything sucks at that point. And so although I'd left it behind, I hadn't really, I hadn't left it behind kind of spiritually, I guess is the way to put it. It was still right. something that was so important to me and all I thought was the best band in the world. And I, so I kind of, I guess I kind of kept my, my fire alive by listening to all and going to see them occasionally and occasionally getting on stage with them. I played the show in, in city gardens, yes, New Jersey in probably 93, I would imagine 93, 94, maybe 94, where it was where they just needed someone to step on because Chad was sick. And so throughout that whole period where I wasn't with the band, I was, I guess, kind of, I continued to kind of uh, stir the embers, <laughs> you know, yeah. I might blow on the embers and stir the embers and kind of keep that, those embers going. And then, and then we just kind of re- reignited it in, uh, in 95 or 96. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, when I first heard everything sucks, <clears throat> me and my whole band were absolutely blown away. Of course, caffeine nation tour, when your comeback tour, you guys, the first leg, you took suicide machines out less than Jake was lucky enough to get the second leg. We were selling a few records then. And I just, <laughs> I, what was it like for you? Cause the crowds went nuts for you guys on that. And that wasn't what was happening when you were playing some of the punk dives in the eighties. It's like, it all came together and like, yes, you did the city gardens gig, but that had to just be an eye opener for you. Like, Oh my gosh. I mean, we were, we weren't playing small places. It was, it was a thousand to 2000, sometimes 3000 3, seats a night sold out every night. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely unexpected. It made that one year. I mean, I think the thing what happened is that you know, we recorded everything sucks and initially there was no commitment beyond like hey we got these songs let's make a record and at some point during during the recording of that i said we we should tour i wanted to tour because i saw that these songs were great you know i felt like you can make a record and then just have it kind of fade into the woodwork and not and not tour to support it or whatever but i thought we should we should tour to support it they just the songs deserved deserved that much and so that's when yeah we started putting a tour together and it was crazy. We we played more that one year in '96 than we've ever we ever played before, and and since definitely and since. I mean, we we just yeah. we were out on the road a lot, and it was a a crazy fun experience and exhausting as well. So at the end of that one year of doing it, I went back to my science career, and I think everyone was kind of like, "Yeah, we need to take a little break here because <laughs> we were we were just completely thrashed after yeah as much touring as we did." I think the thing that happened is that once you play to those places and you can see the spiritual kind of connection you can have with an audience or just the kind of, 
how you can make a big party out of it. We put in the, in the, in the eighties, we were more playing for ourselves and we'd play to empty rooms and be like, Oh, it's okay. We're just playing for each other. But in the nineties, you were playing for, like you said, thousands of people. Mm-hmm. That was just, that becomes something that that's, that's something you can shrug your shoulders about and go, eh, okay. Back to my whatever. So I think every time I go back to my science, I'd be a little, I think just a little bit more hooked a little yeah. bit more like, ah, I don't think I'm giving this up. Maybe. <laughs> Well, I think it's the coolest thing in the world that something you did 12 to 15 years prior came to fruition that much later. And it was just so, so cool to see with my own two eyes. And before we uh, wrap up here, anything you'd like to leave the listeners with and anything going on with the band yourself that you'd like to share? No, just just to reiterate what you're saying, it's just the, we feel really fortunate that uh, I guess that this whatever the sands of time did not gum up our gears because the sands of time <laughs> the sands yeah. of time have been known to gum up people's gears for us it just seemed to be the sands of time were somehow now i'm gonna my metaphor is breaking down never mind <laughs> anyways i think i think the time stood us well in terms of in terms of being able to kind of weather these long hiatuses and just kind of come back kind of and a part, part of that is just that we have such a strong bond with each other and the desire, the desire to kind of make it happen and the desire to take on the challenge of how do you do this as a, as an increasingly aging uh, <laughs> punk rocker, you know, every, every time, every time we go back out and do it, I, I kind of think, well, it's, this is the next challenge, you know, and maybe the next challenge is that, you know, uh, we're going to have to be doing it like in wheelchairs or whatever, but you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter it's, if that's the challenge, that's the challenge. We're going to embrace. That's the next record. My- Milo goes to the nursing home. Yeah. Milo goes to the nursing home. Exactly. But anyways, we are, we are still continuing to play and, uh, we were out with, uh, rise against last fall or last yeah. late summer. And we're continuing, we've been playing out this year a little bit. It doesn't kick into full gear until, uh, until uh, probably fall where we're really going to be hitting a lot of the U S um, but then yeah, fall is going to be when we hit it heavy right now, we're just doing festivals and, you know, stuff like that going over to Europe a few times COVID of course, put the, put the kibosh on all of it. And so I think a lot of bands are coming back with a vengeance, like, okay, you know, we're, we're kind of like, we, we're all pent up and we got to get out and like, you know, show <laughs> make up people. for lost time. Yeah. Show people we can still rock, you know, that's kind of part of it. So, yeah. Right on, man. Well, hey, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. There's lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast after a few words from our sponsors. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Chris Makes a Podcast producer Chris Fafalius here. You may have heard me talk about my band Punchline before. Maybe you already know us, or maybe you're hearing about us for the first time right now. It doesn't matter. No matter what your relationship with Punchline is, I will absolutely guarantee that you'll love our new podcast, A Band Called Punchline. Starting with our humble beginnings in a small town in southwestern Pennsylvania in 1997, we're telling the hilarious, strange, and hopefully inspiring story of the 25-plus years of our band in the most honest way possible, podcast style. 
A Band Called Punchline is an audio documentary available now wherever you get your pods. So subscribe and let me and my friends share a wild, entertaining, unique, and wonderful tale of music and perseverance unlike any other that's still being written today. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your song via MP3 only and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Old Currents from Glen Rock, New Jersey. They recently released their new album, The Glory, The Defeat. You can find their music on all the streaming platforms. Here's a snippet of their song, Here, You Throw This Away. The Rap with Chris and Chris. Chris, were you proud of me for the level of restraint that I showed when we got on this call with Milo <laughs> and I didn't fanboy and I was totally professional? It was just like, hey, Milo, nice to meet you. Been a fan forever. Here's how this is going to go. Because I was proud of me for that. Well, Chris, I'm, I'm always proud of you. But in this particular instance, <laughs> in this particular instance, yes, I was very, very proud of you. You were uh, very well behaved. It took a lot of restraint. I didn't want to <laughs> geek out too hard. I think that Milo would be an okay guy to do that with. I don't think he would uh, take offense to that or <laughs> think it's weird. But I, I practiced restraint. Uh, this episode was awesome. I'm sure that everybody listening to this episode feels the same way. There's so many, I have so many notes about this episode. Like as I was listening, I was laughing out loud at certain parts that I want to talk about. But the first thing I wanted to talk about with this, and Chris, I know you and I have talked to each other about this before, but it's really cool thinking about with the old school punk rock days that by the time you got to the studio, you have played the song live maybe for years. You may have played this at shows hundreds of times to the point where the song has worked out. There's nothing you're figuring out in the studio. The song is what it is. Mm -hmm. So there doesn't need to be a lot of notes in the studio. No, not at all. I think that, and, and I touched on this with Milo, a lot of the bands, you know, any bands first recording, especially punk rock bands, there's this just, immediate ball of energy thrown onto tape that was just that's what you sounded like live and i think that's why a lot of people like my band's first records it had that's that's what we sound like you threw up some mics and, and, and captured what we were uh and then you could never really do that again because your your, your subsequent albums weren't uh, you didn't have three four or five years to play those songs you had to write them and, and go yeah. write them and go record them right you didn't get to see how the crowd reacted to the song right to know whether you're going to keep it or not you kind of just got to guess you it's a shot in the dark. Yeah. Something he touched on, which I think is a huge appeal of the descendants for me and for a lot of people. You probably feel the same way is that he said they don't write from imagination. They write from experience. I think that's the I think that's the best way to write songs because it's it's real. And, uh, you know, with the descendants even taking it a little bit further because they write from experience, I really feel that. As you listen to their albums, 
the subject matter relates to that point in your life that they're at in their point in their life. Uh-huh. There were a lot of songs and bands that I felt like I outgrew because they're still writing about as if they're like a 20 year old, but the descendants, as you go through the albums, it's like, Oh yeah, I'm experiencing these same things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that, I think the term for that is timeless and something that I, that I've used on this show and I hate to be cliche about it, but you know, this band was ahead of its time. They were writing songs from the heart that uh, later on when, uh, you know, me as a fan, when I became the age they were when they wrote it, I could totally relate. And they've just continued to resonate. As he said, like, here we are 40 years later still talking about a song he wrote when he was 19 that uh, probably has more relevance now than it's ever had. It was pretty wild when he was talking about the subject matter of the song. He kept censoring himself like, I'm not going to say the name (laughs) of the girl that this song's about. But the story behind it being that she straight up said to him, hey, I'm going to leave you when this guy comes back, which is such a thing that would happen when you're young. I, I, don't, I mean, I guess that could happen when you're older, but to straight up be like, hey, when this guy comes back from the military, I'm going to leave you for him. It's just such a weird situation. Yeah, when you're you know, 39 years old and your significant other tells you that, you're probably not sticking around for very long, right? Right. Yeah. 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 You're probably not thinking like, <laughs> well, how can I win this? <laughs> how can I win your love? <laughs> and uh, something that I knew Milo was going to get into with this song and could probably talk about this with a lot of Descendants songs, at least a few of them, is when I listen to interviews with him, I'm always impressed because he's obviously super intelligent and evolved guy. We all have lyrics from the past where now when we think about them, we're like, I don't feel the same way about things as I did back then, but I think it's cool that he could look critically. He cited that some of these lyrics in the song come across as like toxic male. Like I'm kind of like, I'm going to own you or something like that, which may not have been the intentions, but he can look at them and be, be like, yeah, I see how that could come across that way. I love that he can talk about that. I've heard him in other interviews talk about things like that too. Yeah, there's definitely stuff that uh, I've sung about or or way I wrote and and, and sang and performed uh, that that I just don't do anymore. It's just because I was I was I was young and and you can look back and yeah, I think there's a little bit of self uh, censoring and editing that goes on with with all of us, you know, and and he uh, he might feel maybe even a little embarrassed. He even said he goes out and plays it acoustic. It kind of changes up a lyric here or there. But uh, I just think that you're you're kind of evolving as not just a performer, but as a human. It's kind of cool when you're in a band or you're an, you're an artist, you're putting out your emotions and anger that maybe 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years later in this instance, you might be like, ah, that was just what I was feeling at the time. And I don't necessarily think it's the greatest, but yeah, I think it's awesome that Milo can address that. Not everybody does. There's a lot of people out there like, screw it. I still feel the same way. And I, I really respect Milo for that. I laughed out loud because I knew that the, the cock line was coming up. And I'm like, I, I can't wait to hear what he says about this. And when he threw Bill under the bus and told the story of like, wouldn't it be funny if you said cock here? I seriously was laughing out loud over here. That was awesome. No, and I, and I love that verse because it's, it's verbatim. Uh, verse three is ver- verbatim of verse two, except for we, they just replaced uh, the word spark with cock. It's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I love that you talked about his weakness 
for the coda. <laughs> the coda is something we don't talk about much on this show. Not not too much, no. And and uh, I love the ending of this song. I love how, and this just kind of goes to show you the. I don't want to say juvenile, but they they were young. They're 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 just going with those guttural instincts. Like, hey, let's just double time the 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 you know the the chorus chords here, and that's how we're gonna end the song. And it's 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 just awesome. I honestly think that's one of the best parts of the song you know that i will be the only one i always i can't believe you didn't talk about this but that's i always hear bradley knoll singing that sublime famously covered this yeah I'm sure a lot of people, that's how they heard this song for the first time. Quite possibly, yeah. And I, and I know, again, I, I had uh, reference face-to-face with that lyric. I, I know people went back from that because I remember that was a huge debate in the early on. How could they do the <laughs> rip-off that lyric? And it wasn't so much a rip-off. It, it, was, it, was, uh, it was an homage to the band. They were huge right. Descendants fans. And, and uh, of course, face-to-face went on uh, on their big choice album. They, re- they uh, covered Bikeage. Oh, yeah, right. I forgot about that, too. Yeah. Dude, how about the story of him not having heard the album and somebody comes up to him and goes, are you the Milo from like the record in the record store? And he's like, yeah, that's me. Could you imagine not ever hearing your album, going and buying it and listening to it on vinyl with like a buddy? Again, no, it's 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 you. It's unfathomable almost. But this is before social media, before the Internet. The, the only reference point you had was to walk your butt to the store, go in and get a record and look at the back of it and go, wait a second, that looks like my, my buddy's roommate down the road. I wonder if it's him. <laughs> who, who else is named Milo Ackerman? It's got to be the same dude, right? And the fact that he didn't hear the mixes till then of, of, of his own record because he was off studying uh, uh, about uh, biology and science, is, is it's, it's hilarious. Uh, it's so funny that Milo is that cartoon. That's like one of the most famous logos in punk rock history it is him. It is the guy you were just talking to. That is literally him. What a what a strange, weird thing. It's so cool. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I, I mentioned it at the end, but I, I I'm honored to uh, have lived that uh, sliver of history with seeing the band come back 15 years later in '97 after the debut record. 15 years later, and all the fruits of their labor. All those dumpy dives that they played and the fights and the vans breaking down and the parents not (laughs) understanding what they're doing and punk rock being a four-letter word. And here they came back and I saw those crowds, man. They were rabid. Absolutely (laughs) rabid for this band. Here's songs they wrote when they were 19. Now they're in their early 30s playing them and and actually making a living at that point. It 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 was awesome to see. That's amazing that you were literally on that tour (laughs) and they came back that is absolutely incredible we did a whole uh episode of the after party about it which man this would have been a perfect place for me to do my famous uh, segues to talking about our supporting cast which yes if you're not part of our supporting cast we release a supplemental episode called the after party every week go to christamakes.com Become part of our supporting cast for a couple bucks. Uh, you know, for a couple bucks a month, you support the podcast. You keep this going. Okay, I did the segue, but I'm gonna reel it back because there's one more thing I want to talk about. Chris is that uh, I really loved. 
that Milo talked about all. Because in my head, it's always <laughs> all these conversations I've had over the years with friends like, what do you like better, All or Descendants? We all know it's the same band with different singers. You know, we all <laughs> yeah. we all know that, but it's it's like a almost like a funny argument or conversation. And to hear Milo talk about how All kept the fire burning and how big of a fan he was of All, I don't know. That was like worlds colliding, even though it should have been obvious. But I, I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, and he talks about that City Garden show he did around ninety three or ninety four when when Chad got sick, and that's kind of. Uh, kind of folklore at this point of a famous show he, he stepped in and it it, all, it just goes to show they were always family that's another thing I loved about the band everyone had a say in the writing uh, it's a it's a page out of their book that my band took it was always kind of like hey you keep the unit together you you, you keep your, your your secrets together you you don't uh, you don't feed the press and the fans with garbage you, you keep your stuff to yourself but you, you treat everyone equally everyone has a say it, it's uh, it's a, a dynamic that uh, has, has worked for them and, and, and uh, I think it's the the best way to approach a band kudos to them i love it man i feel like the descendants slash all slash anyone in that camp really wrote the book they should literally write the book on how to be a punk rock band i think it's amazing and uh i'm gonna quit uh, ranting and raving here yeah this was a great episode if you enjoyed it once again kristamakes.com where you can join our supporting cast you can Help us continue making this podcast. Chris, what else What else is happening? Anything else Anything else we got to plug here at the end? You know, not not too much. Just uh, if you can, give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D. I'd love to uh, have you be one of my followers. I, I, I like that. And if you'd like a custom song for me or a jingle, I'm still doing those. Hit me up at ChrisDemakes at gmail.com. And uh, I don't know what else there is to say, Chris. Just want to thank this week's guest, Milo Ackerman, for sitting in with us. He's... Uh, a hero of mine and a friend. Uh, m- much love to him, and we'll see you next week. Hey, Chris Ophalius here. You know, the producer of the podcast that you're listening to right now. Did you know that I also host a music podcast? It's called One Hit Thunder, and it's a weekly show all about one-hit wonders. We have great guests, and we discuss one one-hit wonder artist each week. Some of the songs are great, some of them are terrible, but either way, the show is always pretty freaking good. I know, I'm biased because I host it. But seriously, go subscribe to One Hit Thunder right now. I promise you'll like it. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. 
Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.